This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Golly, what a wonderful worship service. That was just, was standing back behind the curtain and hearing all of you sing, it was just like a magnificent choir. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, What a great day. Hey, a little piece of good news. Um... This last week was the 4th of July. Our youth group had uh, a fireworks booth in our town and set a record for fireworks sales. How about that? Yeah, let's give them a hand. It can't go up in the air and it can't go boom, but they sold $29,000 worth of fireworks. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, that means a whole bunch of kids are going to get to go to camp. And I know some of them are headed out today, and they'll be headed out off and on throughout the summer. So what a great time of celebration and watching. Uh, you know, you have to be 18 in order to work in the booth. So most of the kids that benefit can't even work in the booth. But, uh, oh, my goodness, they got, they got bicycles and flags, and they were out in the street corners waving flags, and um, it, it made a huge difference. So... How fun. Hey, Kevin, our, our lead pastor is probably fishing this morning. I bet you never thought you'd go to church and hear that the pastor is out fishing on Sunday. You know, he's probably going to watch this or listen to this at some point. So you can just say hi to Kevin this morning. Can you do that? Hey, Kevin. All right. Um, so while the cat's away, the mice are going to play. How about that? We are going to have, we are going to have some fun. For those of you who are brand new, to New Life. Uh, my name is Ron. I'm the founding pastor of New Life, and so I'm greatly prejudiced about our church. But I want to tell you this. I'm going to speak to you this morning about what I believe to be the heart and soul of our church. Um, there are some places in here where I, want, I just want to say how grateful I am that I get to walk through this life with you in this wonderful place that we call New Life, doing this wonderful thing in inside the kingdom of Jesus. We are a blessed church in so many ways. And so I woke up this morning uh, about 5.10, and I don't know if it was a vision, don't know for sure, but I know that when I woke up, God gave me something to say today that I hadn't planned on saying. And he gave it to me while I was asleep. And you might want to write this down, okay? Here it is. We get to be the face of God's grace. You know, in a very realistic way, the world had no idea what God's grace looked like until Jesus came. And Jesus, among the many things that he did really well, is he actually put a face on God's grace. He was able to say to the people around him, this is actually what God's grace looks like in action. Because we struggle to know what grace is. We sort of vacillate between justice and leniency. You know what I mean? And and so... 
if we're not so much in the gracious mood, we're all into justice and giving people what they deserve. But if we're in the leniency mood, well, then we sort of overlook what anybody does and pretend that it doesn't make any difference. And can I tell you that neither one of those actually works very well? Have you noticed? Yeah. Because the grace of God is so different from that. So today we're going to peel back the layers of the grace of God in this series called Belong, Believe, and Behave. Before I jump into that, uh, for those of you who are brand new, I want to introduce you to two tools. You'll find them both inside your program. The first is the long skinny card that says start here on one side. Uh, in our church, we continually seek to, to foster a partnership between the pastoral staff and the people of our church, believing that the more partnership there is both ways in that, the better our church will be. And so that card is huge in helping foster that partnership. So if you're new here this morning, everybody else will be filling it out. You could put your name and your contact information on the front. And then on the back, there's a place for you to, to uh, ask our pastoral staff to pray about something that's going on in your life. I'm going to give you a couple of ways to respond to the teaching this morning. Uh, there's ways to volunteer, to get involved with things, sign up for things, ask for information. All that enables us to partner with you, but it starts with you putting your name and your contact information on the front of that card. At the very end of our service, we'll be collecting those, uh, and that way our pastoral staff can follow through in whatever way would be appropriate. We won't abuse your contact information, and we certainly won't be uh, sending you junk mail or anything like that. We would just never do that. Um, the second thing is you can grab your teaching notes on the inside of your program and follow along. Now, we're in a series called Belong, Believe, and Behave. And uh, last week, I taught us that every church has to actually address those. It wouldn't actually be a church if it didn't address some sense of what you believe, which is over there. I'll get that right this week, all right? Wouldn't be much of a church if it didn't teach you something to believe. It wouldn't be much of a church if it didn't address your behavior in some way. And it really wouldn't be much of a church if it didn't address um, a sense of belonging, that you belonged there. Now, some amazing things happen because every church and every person has to actually order these. And when you put them in an order, the one that you put first becomes the dominant one. And interestingly enough, this one right here, belonging, is the one that actually, to the, to the greatest degree, determines the culture of your life and the culture of the church. For instance, if we put belonging last and believe and behave sort of in whatever order we want, then what we end up with is what I would call sort of a sacred room church. You know that room in some people's homes where no one actually goes or on very, very rare occasions, mom and dad might go, but nobody else is ever really allowed to go in there or play in there or sit in there. God forbid that you should eat something in there. <laughs> you might be disinherited because after all, it's the sacred room. And in, in, a, in a sacred room model church, 
Your behavior and your beliefs are so very, very important that you're never really considered inside the church until you believe the right things and until your behavior is of such a, a level that no one would could actually point a finger at you or at least not that anyone would know of. Okay, And so only a few people are allowed in that inner circle and unfortunately there are churches that are built with that model. Okay, uh, If you put... Uh, belonging second and you put believe on top and you put I'm sorry yes believe on top and behave then you end up with a sort of what shall I say gated community and in a gated community we'll take what you believe and as long as you believe the right things and then then we'll go to work on yes you can belong and we'll go to work on your behavior as long as your behavior is not real, real bad. It's sort of a gated community approach. You have to pass certain tests in order to get in. But if you put belonging on top and belief next and behave last, you get the Jesus order and you actually begin to understand what the face of God's grace looks like. That's what we're going to jump into this morning, is how, how can we put this sense of belonging first and become the actual face of God's grace? Now, when I use the word belonging, I realize that we might not all know what that means. So there are three essential elements in the sense of belonging. And so let's jump into the principles of belonging. Oh, yes, I get the clicker this morning. This is awesome. The first one is this, okay? That I am being seen. In other words, that you can look past what I do, what I've done, or what I represent, and you can actually see me, the person. You know, you have the opportunity to do this in the grocery store. I have developed um, a habit of always in some, at some point in the conversation around checking out my groceries, of calling the checker by their name and asking them, hey, how are you? You'd be amazed at how many times people will look at me and say, hey, thank you for asking. You know what I'm actually saying to them? I know that in this scenario, I'm the customer... And you're obligated to give me customer service. Therefore, since you're serving me, I'm actually above you. What I'm actually doing is the second thing. I'm telling them, I see you. I see you. Not just the checker. I see you, Linda. I see you, Bill. And actually, who you are is more important to me than the fact that you can scan my items correctly. It means that you're being seen. Okay? We will see. Jesus did a masterful job at making sure every person in his world actually got seen. That he saw them. The second thing that belonging has, has in it is this sense that I am included as an equal. In other words, that I'm treated as a peer. 
Now, once you get that written down, I, I want you to just pause for a minute and think. If there was ever a time in human history where the ground was not level, it would be between Jesus and people. Would you agree with that? This is God in human flesh. And you would think, oh my goodness, he is always miles above everybody else. But the amazing thing about Jesus was he was so into leveling the ground and seeking common ground with people that even the worst of sinners somehow felt at home with him. Yeah. Because Jesus treated everyone as a fellow human being. He continually leveled the ground around him. Can I say to you that the best people in the world are amazingly skilled at that. And the people that, every, that everyone loves and everyone is drawn to have this masterful way of no matter how gifted they are, no matter how talented or untalented they are, they have this way of absolutely leveling the ground and creating this sense with all the people around them that everyone belongs here. The third element that is in this sense of belonging is this idea of feeling safe. Because until I feel safe around you, I will never feel like I actually belong with you. My guard will always be up. Uh, I can never really relax. I never really feel included in the circle. I have to be fully me without being judged or put down. You can write this in the margin somewhere because there's a skill that's, that's vitally important in communicating the sense of belonging. I have to learn how to be able to look people in the eye and communicate to them, I love you, I approve of you. Even though I may disagree with what you do. You don't have to change what you do in order to be loved and fully accepted by me because I see you. I don't just see what you've done. I see you. I see the person, not just the actions. And not only do I see the person, but I realize we have common ground. And even in the areas where I disagree with what you might do, I realize that I too have struggles in my own life and you are a human being that struggles and I am a human being that struggles. And in that sense, we have common ground. And, and, and so I want to love you and accept you fully just as you are, even though I disagree with some of what you do or have done. It's in that sense that we get to be the face of God's grace. Because God's grace is not just given to people who do all the things that he likes. If we did all the things that he liked, it would not be grace. Am I right about that? Yeah. We get to be the face of God's grace when we actually disagree with what people do. But we find a way to look past what they've done to them. The real question that we have today is this. 
Who belongs in the circle with Jesus? Now, that's a really simple question to answer until we understand the corollary that goes with it. And the corollary that goes with it is this. Whoever belongs in the circle with Jesus belongs in our church. Does that make sense? Yeah. I visited with some Christians for many, many years And one of the things that I keep coming away with is I'm blown away at how many times Christians will say to me, that person needs our church. Look at them. They need our church. The only problem is if that person came to their church, they would never feel like they belonged. Do you see a disconnect there? Because they're sending out a signal that says, well, this person and this person and this person belong in our church. Uh, That person, they don't actually belong here, but they need us. Wow. Once we learn to become the face of God's grace, which we are as a church, then we begin to understand that whoever feels at home with Jesus, whoever Jesus made to feel at home, should feel at home right here. And that's what I love about our church. We work at that all the time. And it's such a beautiful thing to see in action. So we're going to go to a story out of the life of Jesus. And we're going to watch him be the face of God's grace to somebody that, uh, well, most people wouldn't. In order to understand this story correctly, you have to know a little bit about geography. So let's talk a little bit about geography, the geography of Israel. There were three sort of states in the, in the land of Israel, in the south was Judea, in the middle was Samaria, and in the north was Galilee. And for reasons that are way too long to get into right now, the, the real Jews actually hated everyone who lived in Samaria. They just hated them. How badly did they hate them? Well, they hated them bad enough that when you went from Judea to Galilee, you would refuse to actually go through Samaria. So let's do a corollary here. Here's California, here's Oregon, and here's Washington. Let's just suppose for a while that we hated Oregonians to the point that if we were going to go from San Francisco to Seattle, instead of going up I-5, we would go all the way over to Nevada and drive on some godforsaken highway in the middle of that desert and go through Nevada all the way up through Idaho and then catch Interstate 90 and go all the way over to Seattle so that we would not have to ever look at one of those Oregonians. (laughs) That's literally how the Jews did Samaria. Now Jesus is going to go from Judea to Galilee and he looks at his 12 closest followers and said, guys, I've got some news for us. We are going through Samaria. They were like, huh? Why would we do that? Well, the Bible doesn't exactly explain, but I think I know why. Because Jesus had this phenomenal idea that Samaritans were people too. Imagine that. So they head on up to Samaria, and this is where we're going to pick up the story. He came to a Samaritan village, the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Do you understand how much is going against him right there? 
He's in a territory of people that the Jews hated. He's had a long walk. He's hot. He's tired. He's weary. And he's hungry. And he's thirsty. Good time for a conversation, don't you think? That's awful. Let's see how it unfolds. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with with a Samaritan. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Jesus is going, okay, that's the obvious, right? Then she asked him a question, why are you asking me for a drink? I want to point out a couple of things in this story. This is, a, this is a woman who's coming to the well, and immediately she spots a Jewish man. Now, maybe if he's a Samaritan man, he might talk to her. Not likely, because men didn't usually talk to women. But a Jewish man, no way. So the only thing this woman wants to do is get her water and go. But Jesus wants to make sure that she knows that she is seen. He's not about to let her come into his world without letting her know, I see you. I care about you. So he finds a way to invite her into dialogue. So he says, would you please give me a drink? Look at her response. When she says, why would you ask me for a drink? He says, look, if you only knew the gift God has for you, what's he saying to her? You are a person of worth. God has something for you. Now, if you know this story well, you know where it's going. This is a woman of questionable character, to say the least. She's been married five times and is living with a man that she's not currently married to. And Jesus already knows that. And yet Jesus says to her, God has a gift for you. He goes on to say, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And this woman says, well, please, sir, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come here uh, ever again to get water. You know what she's saying? Is she actually dialoguing with Jesus? No. She's just saying, I don't really belong in this dialogue, so give me the water and I'll get out of here and I won't bother you. She's not actually engaging Jesus in dialogue because she still doesn't feel like she belongs in the circle of dialogue with Jesus. So Jesus does something that you and I probably would not do. He changes the subject. And he says to her, hey, go get your husband. Now you have to understand, Jesus, no, she she didn't have one, right? And she says, I don't have a husband. You know what's going on here? Jesus is inviting her into dialogue. Now you and I are like, why would he do that? This is like her point of greatest shame. This is the thing, this is her deepest, darkest secret. It's the point of greatest pain and shame in her life. And Jesus brings it right up on the table and says, hey, go get your husband. We think, what a cruel and heartless thing. Well, Jesus is not done. Now, if there's anything this woman did not want to talk about, 
it would be that. So you know what she does? She does everything she can to shut the conversation down. She goes, eh, don't have one. That's the response. So then Jesus says, you're right. You don't actually have a husband. You've had five, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Now, if you're this woman, what happens on the inside right there? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So you know what she says? She goes, sir, you must be a prophet. Now, of all the things that you're not going to talk about with a pastor, it's your not married life at that point. (laughs) Nor your marital history. You're far more comfortable talking about some point of theology. So she jumps right into the point of theology. Oh, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors have worshipped? Ah, Jesus, could you straighten me out on one of the nuances of theology? Well, that was not exactly where Jesus wanted to take that conversation. Because he's trying to communicate to this woman. She has a seat at the table with him. She belongs there. And here's how the story unfolds. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, would you just circle, underline, and put stars around those two words, dear woman? In the context of knowing that this woman has been married five times and finally gave up on marriage and is just living with a guy, he looks at her and he uses intentionally a term of endearment. He calls her dear woman. I wonder how long it had been since this lady had been called dear woman or any term of endearment. You know what he's saying to her? In the midst of your deepest, darkest secret that I already know, at the point of your greatest pain and the source of your deepest shame, I see you and I love you And you're dear to me. Yeah. You belong in the dialogue with me. He gives her a very short answer to her theological question. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Indeed, this time is actually here now. It's not about the finer nuances of theology. What life is about is learning how to engage with God and live as his child. And I'm going to help you with that today. That's what he's actually saying to her. And you will indeed end up worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Now about that time, the disciples returned from McDonald's. They came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? These guys had walked with Jesus long enough to know that if you ask a question like that, you either look really cold-hearted or dumb eventually. Because Jesus had good reason. 
You know what I see here? The disciples were not really big into the belonging gig. They were about the gated community. And they took one look at her and said, she doesn't pass the test of our gated community. She doesn't belong at the table with Jesus. Undaunted, Jesus continued. We don't have the whole conversation. But at the end of this conversation, I want you to notice what this woman does. The woman left her water jar beside the well. Apparently, she's not that thirsty anymore. (laughs) Right? What did Jesus say? If you drink of the water I give you, it will what? Become a well of water springing up. She was already beginning to taste that. She left her water jar there and she ran back to the village telling everyone, I want you to notice something. In the conversation with Jesus, as he talked with her about her point of deepest shame and began to be the face of God's grace to her and to talk with her about the fact that she matters and that he sees her in spite of the fact that he doesn't agree with with the lifestyle that she's currently living. But he didn't put her down. He began to partner with her to change that. Can you see that in that conversation, she lost her sense of shame in the presence of Jesus? And she ran back to the village and somehow forgot that that's a place she was supposed to be ashamed at too. And she was telling everyone, come and see a man. Notice, she does not say, come and see a man who has all the right theological answers. He's one of the wisest people I've ever met. What does she say? Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Huh. You know what she's actually saying? Come and see a man who knows the worst about me. And he still loves me. And then she postulates a question. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Because I've never seen a human being who would do that. It's amazing stuff. This sense of belonging in the life of Jesus. So here's the answer to the question. Who belongs in the circle with Jesus? People who want to engage with Jesus about their life. Doesn't make any difference what they've done. Doesn't make any difference who they are. Doesn't make any difference how much money they have. Doesn't make any difference what culture they come from. It doesn't make any difference which side of the railroad tracks they grew up on or currently live on. Doesn't make any difference what their zip code uh, number is. It doesn't make any difference what their gender is. It makes no, it makes no difference what their talent level is. It, it really makes no difference. Anyone who wants to dialogue and engage with Jesus about their life, not about somebody else's, about their life. If you want to engage with Jesus about your life, you belong in the circle with Jesus. I want to take you to one other story before we close today. And it's a, it's, it's, these stories are on virtually every page of Jesus' life in the Bible. So I just picked another one. And, I, and at first I called this the perfect church. It's a healthy church. I want you to see this. So One of the Pharisees, now if you don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee would be somebody like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or somebody, a local Catholic uh, 
bishop or cardinal or somebody who's highly, highly, highly respected in the religious world. However, in this particular case, uh, this particular guy had a fundamental disagreement with Jesus, but he was willing to engage him about it. So he invited Jesus into his home. What was the answer to our question? Who belongs in the circle of dialogue with Jesus? And what was the answer? Anyone who's willing to engage with Jesus about their life. Here's a guy who invites Jesus into his home. Wealthy, highly respected. He asked dinner to have Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. By the way, I'm not sure how she got the money to buy that perfume, but the implications were it was not all that reputable. Got it? Yeah. She brought an expensive jar of perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. By the way, who belongs in the circle of dialogue with Jesus? Anyone who's willing to engage with him about their life. She's weeping about her life. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, are you ready for my paraphrase? This woman does not pass the test of our gated community. She doesn't belong here. He said, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. You know the amazing, I don't have time to read all the rest of the story, but I want to tell you this. The amazing thing about Jesus, here's a Pharisee, here's an immoral woman, and Jesus made both of them feel equally comfortable and welcome in his presence. Because if you're willing to dialogue with him, you belong. That's how he rolled. Here's the truth about new life. If you want to get in the dialogue with Jesus, you are fully welcome here. That's the heart of our church. You are fully welcome here. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, what you look like, you actually belong here. Do you like that about our church? I love that about our church. It's the heart and soul of our church. Now, I want to give you one more principle before I bring this to a close because it's, it's the most important principle of everything we've looked at. Okay? You and I get to be the face of God's grace. In the same way that Jesus engaged this woman, in the same way that, that, that Jesus engaged this Pharisee and the sinful woman, you and I get to be the face of God's grace to the people around us. And the reason that that is absolutely so important is this. Belonging opens the door to vulnerability. And vulnerability opens the door to healing and change. I want to take you back to a commercial some of you saw a few years ago. It was a Holiday Inn Express commercial, and the old basic idea behind that was that if you stayed in a Holiday Inn Express, you slept so well that the next day you woke up feeling a whole lot smarter than you did the day before. And the scene is in is an operating room, and the patient is laying out there, and the anesthesiologist has not yet put the patient down. 
and, and the, sur- the surgeon is all scrubbed up. And um, he mentions to the, to the OR nurse, oh, by the way, did I mention to you I'm not a real surgeon, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night? You should have seen the patient. There was no operation about ready to take place. He sat up and he was out of there. Why? Because here's the truth, okay? When we don't create a sense of vulnerability, that guy did not feel safe. Where there is no vulnerability, there's, there's no safety, there's no sense of belonging, there could be no vulnerability, and where there's no vulnerability, there will never be healing and change. And the amazing thing about this woman, Jesus went to her point of greatest vulnerability, he put it out on the table, and he said, Dear woman, God has an answer for you. And I'm here to show you the answer. And even though the lifestyle that you're currently living is not something I can agree with, I see you. And I want to dialogue with you about that. In our church, over the past years, I've watched different people come into our church with all different sorts of backgrounds, and all of us have struggles with sin, and every once in a while, one of our sins will splash out and become very public. And periodically, we've had people arrested that come to our church. And I'm always amazed at how our church responds to that. Um, Recently, somebody from our church got arrested. Some of you saw that. I was so blown away in the best sort of way when nine people from our church showed up at the arraignment for one purpose, to say to them, don't give up on yourself because we're not giving up on you. If you want a dialogue, come and sit in our circle. We can't agree with what you did, but we see past what you did, and we see you. My friends, that's the face of Jesus. That's the face of God's grace in living color. Are you on board with that? Awesome. I want to pray. There are two things that you can do in response to this. And the first is, you can say, hey, I want to get on board with Jesus. I like that sense of belonging and I want to help other people belong. Well, the way you start that is you choose to become a Christian and you actually enter the kingdom of Jesus. Sarah laid it out for us in worship today because Jesus died on a cross. You and I have the opportunity to enter the kingdom of Jesus and we have the opportunity to actually receive God's grace And then we have the opportunity to live out God's grace to those in our world. Um, So that's the first thing you can do. If you you choose to make that decision today, greatest decision you'll ever make, two things. Check it on the back of of that card that you put your name uh, on the front of today uh, because we want to get some resources into your hands and we want to pray for you this week as you begin that journey with Jesus. So that's the first thing you do. Check it on your card, and then I'm going to lead you into prayer in just a minute where you communicate that decision to God. The second thing that you can do is, hey, if you want to move forward and take a step, then my challenge to you is look for a couple of people this week that you can just say, hey, 
there's somebody who looks like they might not have a sense of belonging. I want to help them with that. And find a way to see them and to communicate that, that, that zone of safety and inclusion as a peer so that they have a deeper sense of belonging. It could be at the grocery store. It could be a clerk. That's a good place to begin. It could be in the lobby as you leave today. Um, but if, if you want to take a step forward, that's a great way to do it. And if you want to take a big step forward, find two people every day. Believe me, they're not hard to find. People that don't feel loved and accepted. Find two people every day and, and say, hey, this is going to become a life pattern for me. Let me lead all of us in prayer, but particularly those of us, if you're ready to make that decision to follow Jesus with your life and become a Christian, here's the prayer that you pray. Let's pray it together. Say this, dear God, thank you that Jesus died for me. And thank you for seeing me at a point of my deepest, darkest secrets and inviting me into your kingdom with you. Today I choose to walk with you for the rest of my life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.